problems, no one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Austin, it's so good to be back on the podcast again after taking some time off. And we just knocked one out uh, earlier that was absolutely amazing. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next uh, interview right now. Yeah, what, what do you call it? The, the, the new generation says our guests are fire. Is that, you know? These, these are yeah there's there's some lit guests we have coming on yeah it sounds so wrong coming out i just don't it doesn't make sense to me it's abnormal that's that's because you're getting old austin but it's okay oh, yeah, just I'm lean into bald, it man. yeah you're... bald blind you know but this man right here we we love this guy he does need to accept that he's going bald but other than that Listen, i have nothing negative to say about him the listeners are going to be so jacked up to hear that thor is coming on our podcast, swinging Thor's hammer. That's right. He's over here. Yeah, he's over here laughing because he knows it's the truth. This is uh, this is Chateau's uh, very own Doug McGraw. He uh, he is an amazing uh, human being. He uh, once I'm going to give you a little bit of bio for him. He pitched minor leagues for the Astros and the White Sox. He's a firefighter for 24 years uh, up in Colorado. Uh, awarded. Two life-saving recognitions, peer support guy, aspiring actor. I'm not sure if that ugly mug can make it on the actor scene, but hey, we're going to swing for the fence on that. Our very own Chateau, tall, dark, and handsome Thor, Doug McGraw. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, that was a good introduction. It's almost like I wrote it myself. (laughs) Oh, man. Man, I'm so glad to have you on here, and we... I was going to say, I should have added to the... I also rescued a goose off of the ice one uh, one year, so there's a a good story behind that. (laughs) Were you sober then? Yeah, I was. I was at work. It was a a legit call. We got called out by the Division of Wildlife because there's these two geese stranded on the ice because they were domesticated geese, and the people that owned them uh, released them to the wild and they had their wings clipped and they couldn't fly. And so they didn't know like when the lake was going to freeze over. So they were stuck out there. And then there's a, a cliff next to the lake and there's a bunch of golden eagles nested up there. So they called us out. They said, man, we need to get these geese off of here. So families that come out here and picnic don't see a full on ball or a golden eagle mauling a, a goose in the middle of the lake. So yeah, I went out there in the ice rescue suit and everything. <laughs> That should go on your resume as well. I think that's uh, that's a class classy tale. Doug, thanks for coming on. Without uh, without kind of bannering too much longer, you got a great story, man. I I want to I want to dive into this. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, and then let's uh, let's dive into kind of what brought you here uh, today. So if we go back, uh, you know, just to kind of capture to capture who I am. I grew up in. I was born in Austin, Texas. Grew up in in uh, Dallas, Texas, in a little town, uh, Duncanville. So you know, good childhood, good good upbringing, good parents. And, and, and I should say this as I talk about my childhood, having maybe jumping the gun here, but having gone through recovery and then looking back, where I reframe and re have a different perspective on my past. I, I have I don't look at it negatively anymore. So as I tell this story, I don't I don't. I don't want that to come across. Yeah, I grew up in a good home. Uh, you know, grew up Southern Baptist. You know, so the the things that go along with that, you know, come along with it as far as you know, a strict upbringing. And and you know, my parents were they were they were strict, but they were fair. And my dad was a, a perfectionist. 
and my mom was a probably call her a uh, passive aggressive perf- perfectionist. A lot of things in childhood and growing up were were externally motivated. You know, you got accolades for good grades. You got accolades for being a good athlete. You know, if it didn't get good grades, uh, say you know I got a B or a C in a class, it, you know you you you'd get the belt. In fact, you know, growing up, we had a belt hanging on the hall closet on the on the doorknob. So, you know, when I look back on that, you know, did, did those things have an effect on where I ended up and where I am now? Absolutely. But when I look back on that now, you know, parents are doing the best they could. And if you're a parent yourself and you have kids, you know that they don't come with instruction manuals and you mean nothing but the best for them. So along with that, with, with that kind of that external accolades, if you will, of, of the way we got recognition, one of them was sports. And that's where, and I was a good athlete and I loved it. I love sports. I love football, I love basketball, I love baseball. Uh, so that's, you know, I poured a lot into that growing up. Just one, because I loved it. And then two, to, you know, I got recognition. You know, I did have some childhood trauma also. I was sexually abused by uh, a neighbor when I was in fourth or fifth grade. And that's something I've never... I mean, this is going to go out public, so everybody's going to know now. But up until now, really, only a few close people and then folks at Chateau knew about that. You know, so that definitely has an effect as you as you move through life. You know, that's kind of the elementary, junior high years. And then high school years, that's when I really I shifted to just baseball. And I knew, okay, this is what I want to do. And, and I was good at it. And and But again, you know, I got the... Uh, I got the external recognition for that. You know, I didn't really have uh, any issues with alcohol. And if I could kind of back up, or no, I'll get to it, is what I ended up at Chateau for. I'll get to that in a minute. But I really didn't have issues with alcohol in high school. I mean, it did do normal teenage drinking, but other than that, really, really didn't mess with anything like that. But I do think one thing that I did have personality-wise that, uh, you know, is both good and bad is is just kind of the, uh, the highly competitive nature and highly competitive instinct uh, is, is just that I wanted to win at all costs. It, you know, I, I hated I hated losing more than I enjoyed winning. You know that that uh, it's good and bad because it, it made me inc- incredibly driven to be good at what I did. But then also, even with stuff outside of that, it you know you kind of go. I don't I don't have a middle ground. I don't have a five. I have a one or a ten. I'm either going to go all in or I'm all out. So played baseball in high school, and then my senior year, uh, well, actually my sophomore junior, I switched over to pitching. I always was a catcher, so then I switched over to pitching, and you know started senior year started getting looked at colleges and pro scouts and everything, and and I pretty much knew I was going to get drafted, and so it, it came down to my choices of where to go to college. Uh, I got it down to University of Miami or University of Arkansas, and I chose University of Arkansas because it was. It was close to home, and parents were going to be able to see me play. But then I was drafted in the ninth round by the Chicago White Sox. So, you know, I'm sitting there, a you know, high school kid, you know, ninth round pick. It's like, all right, you're going to give me you're going to give me a signing bonus, and you're going to pay for my school. If they draft you out of high school, at least back then, it may still be the same way now. Uh, they have to pay for your college. So and I was like, all right, well, this is a no-brainer. I'm going to the pros. I mean, that's the whole reason I would have gone to college anyways. So so I did that. And then kind of back up a little bit. The first time I ever drank alcohol, I think when the, the 
the switch was flipped was in junior high on a trip to Florida uh, with friends. We're, we're drinking on the beach there. And so I think that's where the, the, the switch was flipped and then led to where I get to, you know, hide it at the Chateau. So I went off to play, uh, to play baseball. I graduated high school and within a couple of weeks, I was on an airplane to Florida, however many thousand miles away that is to play a professional sport, have my own money. I uh, didn't need anything from mom and dad and 18 year old kid show up to the airport. Here you go. You're living life for real. And it was fun. I had fun. It taught me a lot. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go back and, and do anything different. But one of the things there that, that I look back on after you know doing the work at Chateau and, and with the counselors is, is there was a lot that was driven into us there. You know, one of the things was that you, you know, you didn't take anything from anyone and that you better believe that you were the best thing going or you were going to just get eaten alive. So that, that creates a mentality too, that it's like, well, you know what, I can, I can do whatever I want and I can handle it because they told me that, but also you're critiqued every single day. The stress that you're under that, that kind of creates and being a people pleaser already. And then you're in a, an environment like that. You, you're critiqued every day, every single day they're evaluating you. And every single day you could be told, pack your bags, you're going somewhere else. And in fact, we, I hardly ever unpacked my bag. I basically lived out of a suitcase. So uh, I played minor league baseball about for five seasons, four seasons with the White Sox and one with the Astros. And then, you know, I'd gotten married in my last season in the off season before I went to go play for the Astros. And that's when I was just like, you know what, this is, I've had enough of this. I was kind of in the really wasn't moving up. And hadn't been to college yet, and I'm married. And I was like, you know, by the if I keep just spinning my wheels at this, it, where am I going to end up? You know, and then, like I said, the drinking was just, it would have been no different than like you were at college drinking. So I decided to quit playing. And I don't think I ever really truly reconciled with that of quitting playing. Because for a long time, I always would think back, like, man, what, why, if, what if I had just stuck it out? Could, could I have made it? And so that was a lot of the stuff too that, that you know the work at Chateau and post Chateau that that I worked through too was just dealing with that. Uh, so then you know I'm married, come home. So so at this point I'm kind of overview where where you're at then as a as a young man your your intensity level you described it as there you don't a five doesn't exist. So as a young man you're pegging out at a 10 almost on a daily basis, if not of your own volition, then somebody near you or coaching you or inspiring you is pushing you to that 10 level. You're, you're operating at a, such an intense level at this point in your life. It's what that has to have been overwhelming. That has to have been almost a, such an intense, I hate to be repetitive of the word, but so dynamic on a daily basis of just, how are you keeping up with that? Is that where is that where the drinking helped? You know, if I look back on it, I, I, I think so. I would say yes. At the time, no, I didn't. I didn't think because that was just that was normal. That's what you did. That's you lived at that at that at that level. Uh, you know, like you said, just always always spiked and anything that you did. I mean, if you you know if you mowed the yard, it's like I'm going to mow the best damn yard in the neighborhood, you know, and I would be, I would, I'd mow it sideways, this way, crossways, you know, to make it, make it almost perfect. But I think, I think looking back now, that's where like the drinking 
you know, when I was playing that, yeah, that was, didn't think of it. That was what it was, but that was a way to like, like quiet your mind down. Yeah. Well, Doug, and I think this is, this is a major part of the story here. Uh, So my father played professional football athletes as a whole. I feel like, you know, there's, there's a lot of the what ifs and my father suffered from alcoholism as well. And a lot of it was regret, you know, if I hadn't have gotten injured, if this wouldn't have happened, you know, and then, you go, it's such a different mindset. And I use the word civilian with this because you go from being this athlete, this, you know, a big shot, right? And, you know, everyone's, you know, bragging on you or they want to get to know you because you're this person. And then when that ends, your entire life changes, right? I mean, am I wrong there? No, no, you're absolutely right. And that's a part of it. I mean, I still get in the mail and I don't know how they find me, but like somebody will send me my baseball cards for me to sign and, and send to them. But you're absolutely right. Like, like making that transition, being an athlete to, to being a civilian was, was tough. Cause all of a sudden that's, that's gone. You know, you go 6,000 or however many thousand people aren't coming to watch you stock shelves at home Depot. No, nobody's chanting your name when you're sweeping the floor yeah. at 10 o'clock after closing. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge life change. Yeah. And I don't think I ever really truly dealt with it and i think that is something that i carried with me for a long time okay so let's transition then your your what mental framework is happening here as you're transitioning to some life you're making some life changes uh you're staring at kind of what's in the future uh how do we end up with the you know the firefighter hero cape on uh, get, take us down that road yeah so it was you know i had my so my school's paid for so i went back to school and it was, it was, uh, ended up, uh, I went to community college first and then ended up going to, uh, University of Colorado, Denver. And I thought I wanted to be an accountant. So I'm sitting in my intermediate financial accounting class going, this sucks. I remembered one of the guys I played baseball with, his dad had worked for, it was either LA city or LA County. And he was always out visiting. And I was like, man, that dude just always seemed to be like, just happy. Like, you know, and when he talked about his job, he just seemed like he was having a good time. So I was like, you know what, let me, let me look into this, see what's there. And so originally, you know, I dropped out of college and went to EMT school because the plan was to, to originally was to be a flight nurse because I thought, oh, that'd be fun to work in emergency medicine, be an EMT, be a medic or be a flight nurse. And while I was in EMT school, my EMT school was taught by mostly firefighter paramedics and we had to do our ride-alongs our clinical you know i did the ambulance ride-alongs like okay that's cool and then i did the time in the er and i was like yeah i could see myself doing this and then when i did the ride-along with the fire department i was like oh yeah this is freaking awesome this is what i want to do You know, because it just cap what it what it was. It cap it captured as close as I could get back to playing baseball as I could in the in the civilian world. Just that same camaraderie and just you know some of the jocularity and the adrenaline and and everything. So that's when you know I took the same approach that I did with anything else, like I did with baseball or anything else. It's like all right, I'm all in. We're gonna do this. And so that's that's when i decided to become a firefighter and that was in 90 started that in about 96 ish and then got hired in in 98 and you know and i took that same approach with with the testing process and you know I, I came out number one on the testing process for the department i worked for and then and then put in put in 24 years there and and if you look at the first part of my career that wasn't anything out of the ordinary yeah there was calls that affected me. I was tired. You know, I, I drank, but I drank socially, casually, you know, when we'd go out with friends on the weekend or whatever. And then, so, you know, we had some, had some marital 
issues and I don't want to, I don't want to knock her down in any way or whatever, but there were some things going on. And, and so we ended up getting a divorce. So I've been divorced about eight, nine, almost 10 years now, I think somewhere in there. But that like leading up to that was when things were like, my irritability was high, depression was high, anxiety was high. And when I look back, I was suffering from the effects of PTSD and I was starting to not drink like I, I was before I went to Chateau. But if we went to a party with friends, it was basically how much can I drink and how much can I numb myself from reality? And then, and then we got divorced and that's really when train went off the track, you know, cause I got a, you know, move out of the house and get a, a one bed or two bedroom apartment. You know, my son, when I had my kids, my son would stay in the living room. My daughter had a room, you know, so that affected me as a dad. I was like, really, this is what, what I've come to. This is what I'm providing for my kids. And so that's when, you know, when I had my time off from my kids and it was at home by myself, then I would just, I just sit around and drink and eat pizza and, and watch Netflix. But still, there was a part of me that was just because in the in the first responder world and with fire service, it, it was almost kind of a badge of honor of like, yeah, yeah, we're just irritable. That's who we are. You just need to understand us. Or yeah, I want to isolate in the basement and have nobody talk to me. It's like I've been I've been busy saving lives, so you need to give me my space. And and we drink. That's what we do. That it was like so you didn't stool really wasn't thinking that hey, there's really a problem. So kind of fast forward a little bit in oh February of 2022, a little bit before that. So in not 2022, 20, 2021, 2020. I can't even remember the date now. I think it was 2021. Uh so a little bit a couple months before that I had to schedule an appointment with a urologist because I was having some urological issues. So I got in in February. They're like, yeah, you, you got a problem. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's why I came to you. So what's the problem? And so it was basically, I was, I couldn't pee. <laughs> right. Yeah. The doc comes in. He's like, we got a problem. I'm like, yeah, no shit. No shit. Right. So if I didn't have a problem, I wouldn't be here. I can't pee doc. And so yeah. like, like it was, there was so much urine in my bladder that they're like, we got to do, we got to check your uh, kidney function. So they uh, ordered an ultrasound. So they did the ultrasound and they found a, a mass in there. And they're like, yeah, we really don't like what we see. So let's do an MRI. Uh, so we did an MRI and then I was having another procedure done so they could figure out why I couldn't pee. That day, as soon as that procedure got done, the doc had gotten the results from the MRI. He's like, hey, you know what? Get dressed, do whatever. And he's going to go out. He's like, I'm going to go check the results of the MRI. I come walking out of the exam room and the doc's just like white as a ghost. And I'm like, did you get the results? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, so? And he's like, you have cancer. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, you got a mass about this big in your right kidney. And I was like, so what does that mean? He's like, well, your kidney is going to have to be removed. I'm like, all right, well, when? He's like, uh, as soon as possible. So a month later in March, I had my, uh, had my right kidney removed. And it was, it was kind of interesting because it was like, you know, I didn't really think too much of it. You know, you always think, like, man, if I ever got diagnosed with cancer, what, how would I feel or what would I think? And I, I don't know. They told me you have cancer and I was just like, all right, what do we need to do? Let's get rid of it. So anyway, so in March I had that removed, but but when all this started in February, I went offline from the fire department. And then I was offline for about about six months with after having the kidney removed. And I think what happened there 
So over time, all the anxiety and PTSD and the drinking and everything had crept up on me to a point where I didn't really think that there was an issue. You know, I thought I had it under control. This is just how we are as firefighters. I'm okay. <clears throat> so, but I had that six months off. And I, what I noticed is I wasn't as irritable. I wasn't as depressed. I wasn't drinking as much. And I'm like, and I was ready to go back to work. I was excited. It's like, let's dig into this thing. And so I went back to work in October. A month later, uh, November 28th, I walked through the door to the Chateau. So the, from the time I went back online in October to the time I walked through the door to the Chateau, it just completely exploded. And that was basically what it ended up being as I knew when I, we worked to 4896. So I knew, so two days on, four days off. So I knew when I got off on my four day in the morning, I knew what grocery stores and liquor stores opened at eight in the morning. And I'd buy enough booze and enough food to last me my four days off. And I would just lock myself up in my apartment, watch movies, drink, and eat frozen burritos. And then, you know, I was sitting there one morning, having a whiskey with my morning breakfast burrito, watching, what was I watching? Couples Retreat. <laughs> Sitting there watching couples retreat, eating a breakfast burrito and having a whiskey. <laughs> I mean, I can laugh. Vince Vaughn, baby. Yeah, right. I mean, I can laugh. Living your best life right there. Living the dream. Yeah, living best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With my life is good T-shirt on. Yeah. So, so, anyways, that's when I was just like, man, I, I don't want to live my life this way. This isn't what I was meant to do or be. So I made a call to our. Uh, to our department counselor and she's like do you i feel like you need to go to treatment and i was like I, I kind of feel that way too and so she's like well what about chateau and i was like yeah let's do it and I, i'm not kidding you within not even an hour so spencer rice showed up at my apartment and then our our counselor and her husband showed up and then one of their nurses showed up then i was on the phone with austin next thing you know apartments full of people asking me questions i'm talking to austin they're asking me what clothes i want to take you know and then it was kind of the typical you know you show up to chateau and once you finally get your bag from it being checked you're like shoot i need to make an amazon order because i got like one sock a pair of underwear and half a t-shirt and nobody <laughs> nobody nobody packed. <laughs> yeah that's accurate I remember that. I'm like, this guy did not bring enough stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, man, I can, you're like, what? I can wear sweatpants and a sweatshirt all day around here. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was getting up in the morning, getting dressed and getting all nice. And then I was like, screw that. I'm wearing sweatpants, and my house slippers and the sweatshirt. So but anyway, so that's how I ended up at Chateau. That was nine o'clock in the morning. I made the phone call to my counselor on November 28th and nine o'clock that night, I walked through the doors of Chateau and it was like a freaking time warp. I walked in there and I was just like, what is going on? So that's, uh, that's how I ended up up at Chateau and old Ed kind of showed me around. And then the next morning, you know, I get up and that was the, that was the longest walk ever down those stairs. I mean, it took everything I had in me to walk down those stairs because everything, every ounce of my body wanted to just turn around go get back in bed you know i was having all the thoughts and the feelings of this was a mistake things aren't that bad don't really need to be here what are you doing but i was like no get down there you need to do this and so i i got down there everybody was super welcoming had breakfast and then it was introduced right off the bat you know it's you know at chateau you you go right into a group so i went right into a group and everybody's sharing you know people have already been there longer so they're already used to sharing all the stuff and man i'm sitting there and i was like I was like, these people are messed up. <laughs> I was like, what? 
is going on? <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I definitely don't need to be here because I I got my shit together. I <laughs> I was just having whiskey with a breakfast burrito. I'm I'm fine. I don't need to be here. And then the chateau works his magic, and you start going, Bleh, and spilling all your stuff out. You're like, oh yeah. I'm pretty jacked up too. <laughs> I need to, I need to be here. You know, that took me about, you know, it took me about a week, I would say, to really kind of fully embrace what was going on. And then again, and this is what I'm saying, like there's, when I look back on my past, there was, there was things that I could say, okay, that's negative, or I could blame, or I could be like, oh, why was it this way? Uh, or I can reframe it and I can look at it. It's like, okay, what did I learn out of that? That's positive. Well, the only way I know how to do things, and I did the same way with Chateau, is like I said, I don't have a five. I got a one or a 10. And I was like, all right, I'm all in on this. And I, and that's what I did. I just, I just went all in. And, and whether this is right or wrong or whatever, and in the competitive nature in me, I'm winning. I'm winning recovery. But that, that's what works for me. That, and I know that and I know there's a fine line between confidence and being cocky and, and whatever else, but it was just like, that's just not how I know how to operate. So it's like, all right, well, can I reframe that into a positive? And, and I did, you know, you can, you know, you could ask the folks that were there with me, the mentors or whatever I did. I was, I was like, all right, I'm all in on this. And I, I ate it up, everything, every single bit of it. And we're coming up on about getting close to 30 days. I've probably been there about 20 days or so. And this is another thing too, looking back on stuff that I learned and then could apply it to this. I know myself, I know my body. And I know what it means to perform at a high level, whether it was as a professional athlete or a firefighter or whatever. And I did not feel that. I did not have that feeling. And I was like, there's no way I can walk out of here in 10 days and apply this to life and, and be good at it. So that's when I made a decision. It's like, I'm staying another 30. And I'm staying until I know I feel that, that I can walk out of these doors. Not perfect, but I know I can start applying this and putting it into action where where I feel good about it, where it's a part of me. It's not just a bunch of knowledge. So that's when, so like I said, I, I decided to stay 60 days. And then it was a little bit after the 30 day mark, a little bit in there. And I'm glad I did because I had, it was been a couple of times in life when I've felt like this. Uh, and again, people may think that this is selfish or whatever, but I don't care because it works for me. Is I, I just, I had kind of what, like an epiphany almost where I didn't necessarily make a commitment, but I made a declaration that it was like, I'm never living my life like that again. And I'm not doing it for anyone else. I'm doing it for me. And the reason I took that mentality was, is if I do this to save a relationship or I do this to be closer to my kids or I do this to be better at my job, well, what if my job goes away? What if my kids go away? What if my relationship goes away? And so it was, it became all about me. And I, it was just like, boom, it was like a wall, boom, stepped over on their side. I'm doing this for myself and I'm making a declaration. I will never live my life like that again. And so it, it went up even another level of my commitment to what I'm going to do at the Chateau and how I'm going to set things up and start working to when I leave Chateau. That was kind of my mentality at Chateau and the way I approach things. You know, I think there's an important, uh, point that I'd like to draw out here, which is, is, uh, the, the latter part of your conversation you just had, which is you, who you were actually going to do your recovery for, who you were actually going to perform 
recovery for, which is yourself. The guy that's in the mirror, the guy that you stare at every day when you wake up. You know, it's, I feel like there's some kind of weird stigma that goes along when we start talking about self-love and self-care, truly talking about, you know, taking care of ourselves and, and putting ourselves as a priority. And most times it sounds selfish. It oftentimes feels selfish. There was something that resonated with me a long time ago early on in my recovery journey that self-care looks selfish to people who don't understand what it is you're doing. I just want to point out that that right there, I believe, has been the key to my recovery is that I'm doing this for me. I learned how to appreciate myself, be true to myself, be honest with myself. And I I think there's a that's an important point that should not be just lightly passed over that the reason you're doing this is probably the weight of the success rests on that right there. So, well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, that that's exactly it. And to, to pull from being stuff that I learned from being an athlete. And, and that's why I say, like, I can't look negatively on everything in the past because there's some good things that I learned. So part of that mentality is either hope or you expect and people that Oh, I hope I win this game. Well, you're never going to win the game. You might luckily win one, but if you go out there and it's like you expect to be great, you're going to be great. And that's the way I approach recovery. It's like, no, I expect this. This is what I expect to happen. So, oh, that's great. You got a great story, Doug. There's people that you just kind of remember. And I remember speaking to you on the phone uh, and I could, I could hear and feel through the phone just the the pain, the struggle, the the want for something different. And that's that's not always the case. But, you know, we, we enjoyed working with you. You're one of my favorites. Um, I think I told you before. But tell us a little bit about after, man. This is this is where the rubber hits the road. And and you and I had chatted about this before when I saw you in Colorado last was like, I sure you you thought you had some things that were gonna happen and some things didn't happen and then mm-hmm. some things changed. So let's talk about that journey right. after and what you had to go through to to be successful mm-hmm. because that that is what you are. You are successful now in this journey. You you hit the ten and you embraced it. And you did something special with your life and you, you seem to be happy. So tell us, tell us the secrets off. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if anything, it's in a nutshell, is you just keep moving forward. It's every day. You just keep moving forward. And, you know, and when I, even when I was leaving Chateau, I was, I was scared shitless to get out in the real world. And then I did the IOP and I had my uh, individual therapist. So it did that same mentality and went all in on the IOP and I, I met with my individual therapist once a week for a year post Chateau and she pushed me. And that was one of the things I asked in my IOP and I asked of my therapist is push me, challenge me. And she did like would purposely, you know, when the time was right, like one of the things for me was like going to the grocery store. I mean, I'd be white knuckling in the grocery cart. And she, when, when the time was right, she would, she was like, okay, it's time to go to the grocery store. And I'd be like, seriously and but it but i did it i went and we would pre-plan it and actually we used fire service terms you know we we'd pre-plan we'd come up with an incident action plan to go to the grocery store and then when i would meet with her the next week we would we would do it like an after action review or a debrief and we'd break it down and we'd go step by step through how was the grocery store? What did you feel? What were you thinking? All right. And then we would draw it out. We'd make these diagrams. It's like, okay, here's what happened. And then, you know, bring it down. It's like, okay, what was the reality? Okay, bring it down and just keep breaking it down. And it, it's pieces and parts. But that that was one thing. 
was just I challenged myself. You know, I didn't challenge it all in one day. I cha- you know, it was in in bits at a time that that I did it. So that was that was one thing. It was definitely having something post chateau IOP and an individual therapist. Another thing was was just was taking back taking back my life and making decisions for myself. And one of those was retiring from the fire department where it was like, you know what? I don't, I've got enough that I'll be okay, but I don't have enough that I'll be okay forever. But, but I was like, you know what, what, well, and it kind of backs up to, to another thing at Chateau was what makes my heart happy and what is my life worth? So post Chateau, I kept that, that going. It's like, okay, just being at the fire department, fit that filter. Nope. All right, it's time to leave. Is it perfect? Nope, but I'll figure it out. And I just always had that mentality. It's like, I'll, I'll figure it out. And so then it was like, okay, where am I going to live? Well, the best thing for me right now is to go back to Texas. And I lived with my parents for a year. And that, that was one of the best things I could have because I was around sober people. My friends are sober. And so I was in a safe environment. And then, you know, and I had moments where, like, you, know, you talk about like, you know, you go to Chateau, all this stuff doesn't just go away. I mean, I had moments like where all of a sudden it's like, man, the anxiety is going through the freaking roof. But I would go back, I'd go back to what worked for me. And that was the thing is like about all the things that I learned at Chateau, I really had to break it down to, okay, I like this, this works for me. And so in its simplest form, what I've gotten into where I understand is if, if my anxiety is going up, it's like basically stop. Okay, what's actually going on? And then evaluate it, understand it. How's it really affecting me? Okay, and then move on. And each time I I would do that or go through that, I'd get stronger. I, I would I would rebuild that muscle. And the way I looked at it, and when I worked at my therapist, and one time she asked me, she said, look, she's like, Doug, how long did you live your life the way you did pre-chateau? And I'm like, decades. She's like, all right, you're taking decades of muscle memory and muscle memory in your brain. You did 60 days at Chateau. You've been out a month. So give yourself a break. You're, you're building new, you're building new neural pathways and you're building new, new muscle brain muscle memory, if you will. But each time I had a success, we celebrated it. Each time I had, even if I didn't have a success or I had a failure, we broke it down, but not only did we break it down, but we compared it back. So we like, if I fell short in something, or like went to the grocery store and like thought I was going to throw up, then we took that and broke it down. It's like, okay, that looks like a failure, but let's compare it to the last time you went to the grocery store where you didn't even buy anything. I was like, okay. She's like, did you buy anything this time? I was like, yeah, I got like three things. She's like, okay. So that was better than last time. So we just kept that mentality going, uh, going like that. And then, and honestly, you know, another thing I did too that worked for me is I didn't keep track of days sober or anything like that. Because that, to me, it didn't work. Because to me, it was like, I am sober. That's it. I don't need to know how many days it is. Because I made that decision back at Chateau. This is me. I don't need to know. And, and it also didn't put on me like this, oh, I've got to make it five more days and I got a hundred. It's like, no, I'm. This, I, I, so I couldn't even tell you right now how many how many days I've been sober. Oh, and another thing that we we switched around is just just terminology that I would use or how I refer to myself, and I and I don't want to 
this this is for me. This is what worked for me, and I'm not poo-pooing any recovery processes or groups or whatever, but I don't refer to myself as an alcoholic. I'm in recovery, or I'm just Doug. I'm sober Doug, because the reason I didn't do that is because I didn't want to carry around those labels, if you will, because that's a big deal to me of like what you tell yourself or what you say about yourself is what you will become. And my therapist had me even reframe that with, with PTSD and anxiety and depression. She's like, look, you have PTSD, but you're not PTSD. So it, it's such a fine line, but it's, it's, if you think you are PTSD, then that's what you, then that's what you, uh, you know, that's potentially what you become. So we, you know, so we reframe stuff. It was little simple things like that. It could be a matter of semantics or whatever, but that's what, you know, that's how I, that's how I view things. And that's how I, how I viewed life or, around that and just, live my life each each day like that you know i thank her for a lot of that too you know those were some of the things that she pushed me on oh and another thing too what we did we eventually got to the point in our therapy and i think in that i kind of had this epiphany if you will or this realization and and she was like awesome that i had it on my own was basically they we hit a point where we stopped talking about stuff in the past because i was like i'm not that guy anymore i'm not it, it, and it completely reframed the way I looked at the past and, and almost looked at it as a positive light. There's been some great things that have come out of my life now because of what happened. And there's positive that I can pull from it that I can use today. And I'm a much better human being for it today. And so our sessions actually switched to where they actually started becoming life coaching sessions. And we didn't talk about shit in the past anymore. It's like, I'm like, I, I need to move on. I'm not that guy anymore. Yeah. And that's, that's okay. So Doug, this is, this is one of the thing I want to pass on to people who may be listening is the fact of the matter to me is it sounds like you made your journey, your own, you owned it, which if we go back to some of the, the basic things that you're learning at Chateau is that this process has got to be yours, the labels, the, everything that you instigated for your own self help was yours. You owned it, you made it, it worked for you. Uh, and then you embraced it. And that's that's ownership, right? Our journeys are about ownership. But then also the big thing I'm hearing from you is that you worked for this. You put a lot of work and effort into not only once you were in treatment, but once you left, right? That's where, we're, you know, it's the hardest part, man. Rubber hits the road. You, you know, worked on yourself. You worked on what your journey was going to be on you know, or in you move to us, you know, your parents home, which you probably didn't want to do immediately, but best thing for you. I mean, you went and told would be happiness, right? Yeah. You kind of, you kind of broke up there a little bit, but I, I, I think I kind of captured what you're saying there is, is that is, yeah, I, again, I went all in on, and I did the work and kept applying the things that I learned at Chateau kept working on the things with through the IOP and my counselor and stuff on my own. Like I, I would research on my own and I'd find things on my own to do to to help make myself better. It was just it was purposeful every single day with with what I did. Uh, and like now things that I'm doing because I don't I'm not doing the IOP anymore obviously and and but it's like there's a uh, it's in Dallas. It's called the Center for Brain Health, and they uh, they work with first responders and military. So what I did is they have a re- ongoing research program there, 
And so I signed up for the research program and it's got, you know, it has daily work in there that you do and stuff for basically it's, it's strengthening the brain. So there was more stuff where it's like, okay, what else, what's the next thing that I can do to, to just keep strengthening my brain? Cause the brain can heal the, the plasticity of the brain. It can heal. So what else can I do? And I, and like you said, I mean, that's a big piece of it is, uh, and if you want, if you want to take a, a page from the, the, the athlete book is when you look at the greats or the greats in anything, really, they do work outside of practice. So if you look at Chateau, Chateau is like training camp. It's like, all right, well, what are you doing outside of training camp? Are you running extra laps? Are you, are you showing up early to get a couple extra ground balls? Are you, you know, that, that's, and I think that's a big piece of what makes Differences. What are you? What are you digging for and finding on your own? What extra work can you do that somebody's not telling you to do that you're finding on your own? That you say, "Hey, I need to work on this," and you do it on your own. Doug, I I just want to kind of culminate our our great conversation here and your uh, amazing story with with a, a couple kind of closing questions. If you have. Uh, if you have a message to actually mm-hmm. send out there to, to, you know, some of the first responder community that is really struggling question one would what, what would that, what would that message be? What would you tell folks who are, man, they just don't know where to turn. They're struggling. They're drinking too much. They're maybe they're, uh, you know, their lives are upside down in some form or fashion, pornography, running around infidelity, spending gambling. I mean, what, where do they, What's, what's the message you'd give them? That it's okay to get help. That it's not a, uh, it's not a knock on your, uh, on your toughness or machismo or bravery or whatever you want to call it, that it's okay to, it's okay to get help. Well, and then, and then the second question, and I know everyone's on pins and needles uh, to know if you're still eating those fucking frozen burritos on a daily basis. <laughs> no, I mean there's some stuff, man. I look back on, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> hey, Doug, I'm proud of you, man. You've uh, you've worked hard to get here, and. Uh, your your smile and your uh energy exudes health and it shows and you've worked really hard to get here i'm proud of you i know you're proud of yourself i think we i think we lost austin so i'm going to speak on behalf of austin and i both thank you so much for coming on you know obviously we love uh having you part of the chateau team thank you so much for sharing your story it's been great yeah absolutely man thanks for having me on anytime Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. 
Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.